Christchurch, New Malden, 10th of October 2021, 9.30 service. Katie Loffman speaking in the series, How the Bible Presents the Church, the Bride of Christ. Well, good morning, everybody. What do you think of when you think of a bride? Well, there's a, here's a few things that I thought of that came to my mind. First of all, and of course the most important thing, is a bride is in love. She's devoted to her bridegroom. She loves him. She'd do anything for him. He's the one. She's devoted and committed only to him. She's beautiful. All brides are beautiful, we know that. And of course she's happy. And everybody else is happy as well. She's innocent and pure. That's what the white dress is all about. She's looking forward to the future with sort of bright, innocent hope. And she's really busy. Brides are always really busy. Before the wedding, on the wedding day, they're getting ready, they're doing all the preparations. But one of the most, imp- most poignant things, I think, about a wedding is that anticipation. The bride is on the threshold between her single life and her new life as a wife. She's on the cusp. There's that anticipation. And I think all of those things characterise a bride. Well, we've celebrated today the fact that we're all part of God's big family and we welcomed a new person into that family this morning and that was a really happy day as well. We're used to thinking about God as our father, as the father of that family where we're all brothers and sisters and Jesus is our big brother. But the Bible also uses another family metaphor for the church and for the close relationship that we have with God and that's where it describes the the church as the bride of Christ. So how many of those descriptions of a bride apply to us? Well, I think in some way, all of them. The image starts in the Old Testament where it talks about God's exclusive relationship with his people as being like a marriage. And there the focus is very much on faithfulness. God loves his people with a faithful and everlasting love like a good husband. And in return, God wants us to be devoted and committed to him. So when his people turn away from him, God feels it like a husband whose wife has had an affair. It really hurts. And that's an image that's used a lot in the Old Testament. So by the time we get to the New Testament, that idea of God and his people being devoted to each other, like a husband and wife, is a familiar one. But the New Testament makes it a bit more specific. God's people, who by now are not the Israelites or the Jews, God's people in the New Testament is the church. God's people are described as the bride of Christ, getting married to Jesus. So let's have a quick look at something that Jesus says about marriage. The Sadducees, which is for some of the Jewish leaders, they come to Jesus with a trick question. If a woman is widowed and her husband's brother steps in and marries her, in line with tradition, and then the husband dies, so the second brother marries her, but then he dies, 
And the same thing happens again. The third brother marries her and he dies. And the same thing happens seven times. Then whose wife will she be in the afterlife? Now bear in mind that the Sadducees didn't actually believe in the afterlife. So why are they asking this question anyway? But anyway, Jesus answers it and he, with a very interesting point. He says that after we've died and when we're with God in his kingdom there will be no marriage at all. So when we put this together with the passages about being united with Jesus like a husband and wife are joined together, we start to see the reason why he says there'll be no marriage in the afterlife. Because once we're fully in God's kingdom, we'll all be united to Jesus in a marriage to him and we'll be fully in unity with each other as well. I knew an older lady who used to go to this church and her husband had died quite a long time ago and she always used to say that she was looking forward to her own death because she would then be with her husband again and she was really looking forward to going to heaven and being with her husband. But going on what Jesus says, that's not really what it will be like. Instead, we'll all be so thrilled at being with Jesus that our love for him will override everything else, even greater than the joy of a bride on her wedding day. God is infinite love, and we'll all be so engulfed in that huge wave of love that the love we feel for our husbands and our wives will still be there, but it will pale into insignificance. So in a way, the love that we have for our husbands and our wives will be magnified and fulfilled by being extended to the whole family of God's people and with Jesus himself. Revelation chapter 1, which, sorry, chapter 21, which is part of the reading we had, gives us a picture of the bride of Christ appearing. She's stepping out of the car and we see the dress for the first time. But wait, it's a city. The bride is a beautiful version of Jerusalem, covered in jewels. Is Jesus marrying a city? Well, Jerusalem was the center of God's people, their capital, their spiritual home, and of course, their identity. Jerusalem, in a sense, means all of God's people from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then in the New Testament, the non-Jews, sorry, Jerusalem, originally means all God's people of the Old Testament and then in the New Testament that picture is extended to include all the people who come to God through Jesus so it extends to mean the church as well. So the spiritual concept of Jerusalem means the worldwide church nowadays. And Tim talked about this a bit last week in his sermon where he talked about the church as the building of God where the church is the temple and the temple was the center of Jerusalem so when it talks about Jerusalem it's talking about the church so when Re revelation we see the heavenly city of Jerusalem it's built out of jewels and each of those jewels represent the 12 tribes of Israel and there's a gate for each tribe and the foundations are the 12 apostles so the new the old the new testament in the apostles underpins the old the, the, the 12 tribes. So that city contains God's people of both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant brought together in one new Jerusalem. And it's that city full of people, including us, 
which becomes the bride of Christ. When God created marriage back in Genesis, he said the husband and wife become one. And that's what's happened here. The city has Jesus at the center as a river running through it, like the writing in a stick of rock. The whole place is suffused with Jesus' light, so nowhere is dark or shadowy. Jesus' people have truly become one with him. A city, us, filled with the light and life that is him. One thing that struck me in this image of us as the church being the bride of Christ was why are we the bride and not the wife? God's love is everlasting and we'll be with him for eternity, so, but a bride is a temporary thing. So why is that the word that the Bible uses? Well, I think there are two reasons. One is this. The church is the bride of Christ right now, but it's not until after God's kingdom is fully here that we will be his wife. So the word bride captures that sense of now and not yet. A bride is fully committed to the bridegroom, and everyone knows that they're an item, but they haven't yet really got going on their life together. And even after the wedding, there's the honeymoon and the settling in as they learn to live with each other on a daily basis. I've heard it said that you're a bride for a whole year after your wedding, and because that's as if that's how long it takes to grow into the role of being a wife. Calling someone a wife implies a settled permanence, whereas if somebody's a bride, they're on the cusp, on the threshold between their old single life, which they're turning away from, and their new life as part of a couple. And that's how we are as the church. We're fully committed to Jesus, and we've turned away from our old life, as we heard them saying in the promises, and as we repeated ourselves, we've turned away from our old life that perhaps we had before we were Christians. Jesus is always with us in spiritual form, and we have the Holy Spirit in us like his engagement ring, but we're not totally with Jesus in the way that we will be when God's kingdom is complete. And when that happens, we'll see Jesus face to face, and we'll be united with him in a closeness that at the moment we can only just occasionally glimpse. So that's how the church is like a bride rather than a wife. We're fully committed to Jesus, but not yet fully with him. Like a bride, we're living in that tension between the now and the not yet. And secondly, what do brides spend their time doing? My daughter, Iona, has just got engaged. And I don't think she'll be getting married until 2023, but she's already started planning the wedding. She can't help herself. Being a bride is a time for preparation, and that's really important. Can you imagine if the bride carried on as if nothing had changed and didn't do any work to prepare? They'd get to their wedding day and they'd be like this. Nothing to wear, no service, no reception, probably no wedding. On the other hand, we've all heard those bridezilla stories when the bride is so anxious that every tiny detail is exactly right on her special day, that it all becomes too much for her and for everybody else. <laughs> 
Well, obviously, we, the church, is the bride of Christ. We don't want to be like either of those two, do we? <laughs> but we do want to be prepared. Jesus told a story about ten bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom to come. If it, it, got, it started to get late and their lights were burning for too long, five of them ran out of oil for the lamps. So when the groom arrived, though they were gone, looking for a late-night oil shop. Probably in a petrol queue somewhere. <laughs> but the other five had planned ahead. So they had, they'd got some spare oil with them. So when the bridegroom arrived, they were ready to take part in the celebrations. The others came back later, but they were too late. Their chance had gone. So if that's the church's destiny, our destiny... We need to act like a bride and make sure we're doing the things that need to be done and not get caught short like the foolish virgins in the parable. The great thing about the city that we read in the passage in Revelations is that she's prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So that invites the question, if we are the church, are the bride, what can we be doing here and now to prepare ourselves for our bridegroom, Jesus. Well, earlier in the book of Revelation, we get some clues. Chapters 2 and 3 contain six letters to six different churches, praising them for some of the things they get right and giving them some direction about how they could improve. And those directions can be summed up, I think, in these three themes. Stay in love with God. Don't lose your first love. Stick to the truth. Do the right thing, even though we're surrounded by an immoral and corrupt world. Preserve your, per, sorry, persevere with your faith, even though you may be persecuted for it. And those, those are really good directions for us too, so let's have a look at what they mean in practice. What can we do to love God more? Well, asking him to increase our love for him is always a good prayer. We can remember to thank him for every blessing that we notice around us in our life every day. A tasty sandwich, a sunlit cloud, a good day at work, a funny tweet. These things remind us how God puts so many good things into our lives all the time because he loves us. And in turn, when we thank him for, it, for them, that helps us to love him more. Of course, we can never love Jesus as much as he loves us, but I think Jesus deserves a bride who loves him and a bride whose love is growing. What about sticking to what we know to be right, even when we're surrounded by pressure to do the wrong thing? I knew a man who... Uh, was a, a Christian and he told me once that he was on a night out with some colleagues in London. They'd had a meal and then one of them suggested going to a strip club. Everyone said, yeah, let's do that. But he said, actually, I won't go, I'll just go home. And then one by one, the others decided that they wouldn't go either. And they all did something else instead. Often, if we make a stand against temptation, it helps other people to do the right thing as well. Now, I don't know how often you're tempted to go to strip clubs, but we all face pressure at times to do something wrong. 
and it could be a big thing or a small thing. And as the bride of Christ, our job is to keep ourselves pure and innocent and to steer clear of those things, regardless of what everybody else is doing. The third direction from Revelation chapter 3 is to stay faithful to your faith, even if you're persecuted for it. The persecution that we get in this country is much more subtle than a lot of what they face in some countries, obviously, but it's still there, isn't it? I was teased a lot when I was a child for being the vicar's daughter, which is not fair because it's not my fault. When I grew up, for a long time, I used to hide the fact that I was a Christian and I didn't tell my work colleagues because I thought they'd think I was stupid or, well, I don't know what I thought they'd think really, but I thought they'd, but when I got a bit older, I thought this is ridiculous. I, people know what I'm like. Why shouldn't I just be myself? Why should I hide it? So I stopped hiding it. And do you know, it was fine. <laughs> yes, I got some stick from people expecting me to be judgmental. And I've had some derogatory religious jokes aimed at me sometimes. But I feel bad now that I was embarrassed to be a Christian. And I was ashamed of the gospel for those early years. And that's not how a bride would be about her loved one, is it? It's not how we should be about Jesus. We can prepare ourselves as his bride by being proud to speak up about him, even when we think we'll get teased for it. One last thing that Revelation 19 verse 8 says about the bride is that she's wearing fine linen, and that fine linen has been given to her and it stands for the righteous acts of God's people. So that means every time we do something good or just or loving, we're making the fine linen robe that the church will wear on that wedding day. We're making it a little bit brighter, a little bit whiter, a little bit more beautiful. It's all down to us to put together that beautiful fine linen robe. We all contribute, and what we do matters to each one of us. Meanwhile, what's the bridegroom doing to get ready? Well, Jesus prepared for his wedding day 2,000 years ago. He rescued us from evil by his death on the cross. We can't do all these righteous acts by ourselves, can we? We can't withstand persecution by ourselves. We can't avoid temptation by ourselves. But Jesus took those failings, our failings, onto himself on the cross, and he got rid of them by his death. And it's because of that that we, the whole church, can wear that beautiful white dress and come together in his holy city to live with Jesus forever. <laughs>